terrorist community through praying for the code for just the name of a guy, King Rat. And that's all I knew about him. I knew his name was King Rat, and I saw graffiti on the wall. And I, and I came home, sent out a newsletter, told everybody pray for somebody named King Rat. This is when you know you're in divine encounters, okay? And when I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this because Kenny's here by a divine appointment today. And I prayed for that man's name, sent out a newsletter. I go back six months later, only the second time in the country, and I'm doing a meeting in a canteen building for a company. And the company was letting me use their building to preach in. And in the second night, they'd put my mugshot and my stories in the newspaper, and a young man came to me and said, A friend of mine wants you to come and talk to him about Jesus. I said, Well, just tell him to come to the meetings, man. He said he can't come out in public. And I said, Why? And he said, Well, he's a very well-known terrorist. I said, really? I said, what's his name? He said, his name is Billy Wright, but everybody here calls him King Rat. And, folks, I had a newsletter in my Bible, and I said, I can show you. I've been praying for that guy, and I went and met him. And as soon as I met him, I loved him. I mean, this most notorious terrorist in the Western Hemisphere in this day. And I knew in my spirit that I was sitting in the room with a brother, that he was saved. And he told me he was a strong believer that he'd, he'd gotten saved back when he was a kid in prison. And it was a man that led him to the Lord. Basically, the witness of Kenny McClinton in prison is what led this young man to come to Jesus. But he backslid after a few years and went back into paramilitary organizations because many of his family members were assassinated by these terrorists. And he became probably the most notorious of all of them. And uh, we loved him. Very much. We had a lot of hope in him standing on places just like this and telling people about Jesus. But, uh, but just um, about six or seven weeks ago, he was doing a, a period of time in prison, in the Mays Prison in Belfast. And uh, the IRA, or INLA, which is IRA people, came up out of their cell blocks, and they called him for a meeting, a uh, visit. And when he went for the visit, they, they came off the top of their cell blocks and had two guns and opened the van door and shot him in the back five times and killed him. And uh, Kenny McClinton, we, we wanted Billy to preach the gospel. And, you know, he did preach the gospel vicariously. He told Kenny McClinton just a few weeks before he was assassinated that when I'm killed, he knew sooner or later, he'd been car-bombed. I don't know how many times they tried to bomb him and kill him. He said, when I'm killed, I don't want you talking about me at the funeral. I want you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ at my funeral. And Kenny McClinton here preached that funeral. There were 20,000 people. And uh, CNN News, everybody was there. But the closest people to where Kenny was speaking were the most notorious men in that country as far as paramilitaries and paramilitary leaders. And they all got to hear the gospel preached. And it wasn't the first time Kenny preached it, but it's the first time he preached it. Basically, Billy Wright was preaching the gospel through Kenny McClinton. And we had Kenny over last year, and we had him on the 700 Club, and Pat Robertson said it was the best story they had ever done on the 700 Club. And this is his second trip to America, and we're just very proud to have him. And, uh, you know, we just decided today that we wanted to come here. We had an Alabama meeting, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going to a little church down in Granbury, on the end of, and I'd like to just take you to this. We'll go to this church. And he said, it sounds good to me. So here's Kenny McClinton from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Good morning. Uh, first of all, let me tell you what a great privilege it is for to be here in Granbury today. Uh, Amongst God's people, I have been here rejoicing with you and worshipping the Lord with you, and I see your spirits are high. 
and you love the Lord Jesus and you're covered by the blood of the Lamb and it's my privilege and utter privilege to be here I want to tell you that I love you each and every one with all of my heart the story you're about to hear today is not the story of one Kenny McClinton but the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ's gracious dealing with a hell-deserving terrorist murderer like Kenny McClinton. So therefore, at the outset, dear friends, all glory goes where it belongs. And where is that? Amen. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. I do nothing without the word of God. And so therefore, if you've got a Bible with you, I would ask you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, commencing at verse 1. Because this story in the scriptures is very relevant to the testimony which you are about to hear today. So bear with me. We do nothing without the two means of grace, prayer and the word of God. Because our faith stands firm on that foundation. When we don't feel that we're saved, we know that we're saved because God's word tells us so. And God is not a liar, is he? Amen. Praise God. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not, for he, that is the Lord Jesus, said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many. Now you know the story of how the Lord cast 2,000 demons out of this man into a herd of swine and the herd then ran down mad over the cliff and were drowned in the sea. But in verse 15 we learn and they, that's the people from all around who knew this man's antics all these years. Madman, cutting himself and screaming and nobody could fetter him or chain him or tame him. And they saw this man and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid brothers and sisters today this story is fulfilled in front of you before your eyes because you see me standing the maniac McClinton that's what I was called standing clothed and in my right mind and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And they began to be afraid. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
I hope I can get this out. Use this wisdom to get this out of here. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And once you start to fear the Lord, you know the Holy Spirit has moved upon your heart, has quickened you, has drawn you with the cords of love for Jesus, has convicted you deeply of your sin, Christ's righteousness, and the judgment that must surely come, and drawn you with irresistible love and grace to Jesus. And what happens then, folks? Jesus puts his arms around you and he says, I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. Come to me, ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's our witness and testimony today, is it not? Amen. When the gospel and the stories of the gospel enter the heart, there's a lot of questions asked. I have put some of these down in poetic form, and I want to share them with you, because I'm sure you can relate to these questions yourself when you were struggling through them on your trip, on your journey to Jesus. Where are we going? When will it end? Who will be left to tell? Who'll join the saints in heaven above? Who'll join old Satan in hell? We're enlisting an army of good Christian souls for to fight for the cause which is right. Will you take your stand with our heavenly band? And help put the devil to flight? We're a team of the best. By Christ Jesus we're blessed. We have given our all for the cause. We will combat all sin, both without and within. We won't backslide, nor falter, nor pause. We were once renegades in the devil's brigades, all living in darkness and fear, till the Lord showed his light, took the scales from our sight, and saved us with his blood so dear. Now we're banded as one with Christ Jesus, God's Son. We're commandos of God till the end. And against Michael's lance, devils don't stand a chance. Soon to hell Satan's legions will send. Now today is the date. Don't you leave it too late. Enlist in our band while you can. Soon the Lord will appear in the sky, crystal clear. Just be sure you repent, sinner man. Amen. 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 Born the second son of a hard-fighting, hard-drinking, cold-delivery man, I grew up in virtually a one-parent family. My father had been so violent with the police force over where I live in Ulster, or Northern Ireland, uh, that they had begun to put him into prison for short periods. Now, he served some 18 years of his life in and out, in and out of prison. He was in and out of prison like a yo-yo, as we say, where we live. Up and down, up and down, in and out, in and out. He was in and out. And once he came out again, we lived in hovels. Little one-roomed furnished accommodation places. And he would wreck the place that we lived in with his drunkenness, beat up my mother, and go back into prison, and we would just move to another hovel. My first official address was Number 9 Hut, West Circular Road, West Belfast. It was an old army nissen hut of tin where the rats would run across the top of the roof in between the double skin of the hut. And we used to lie listening to their nails scratching and their claws scratching over the top of us. It was no hot and cold running water. And what we had was wall-to-wall poverty. Now... In our state, 
we were sent to some 14 different primary schools as little children. And there we stood at these primary schools in our rags. We were clean, but our clothes were patched and ragged, and our shoes were scuffed with holes in the soles. And little children, being only as cruel as little children in their innocency can be to each other, used to gather around us, and they used to sing a little song, Your old dad's in jail, your old dad's in jail, and torment us and humiliate us as we stood in our rags, my brother and I, trying to retain some semblance of human dignity because it was all that we had. Now we learned a very negative lesson at this stage. We learned that in order to get peace from our tormentors, we had to deal them what we call the dose of instant violence. And you know, it worked. That's the sad part. It worked. Because you see, the schoolyard bully, as you know, will only be a bully if you allow them to be a bully. If you stick up your little chest to them and stick one on his nose, he soon goes to try and bully somebody else. Isn't that right? You've seen it? Now, we don't promote it as Christians, obviously. However, the sad part is that it does work. And so, in our case, it reinforced the philosophy throughout our young lives that might is right and the weak go to the wall. So if we get into any trouble at all, we would deal whoever was giving us that trouble a dose of instant violence. Soon these people were sidling up to us and wanting to share their candy with us instead of tormenting us. And so we got peace. They were so busy wondering what we would do. They were not planning to do anything on us. And therefore, we went through our school lives like that. And a philosophy was born in our minds. Might is right, and the weak go to the wall. Now, that was reinforced numerous occasions throughout my younger life. I left school at the age of 15 years, with no paper qualifications whatsoever, semi-illiterate. My ambition was to be a labourer. And therefore, my ambition was fulfilled over a weekend period. I left school on the Friday and commenced work on the Monday as a labourer. I had arrived. Sad. However, a friend of mine then said to me, he says, Kenny, after about a year of this labouring, and I was sick of it, I've got a good idea. We can go away down to the Merchant Marine office, the Navy office. And we can go away and get trained to be sailors. And we can go away and sail all over the world. See the girls. I was very interested in girls at that. Get plenty of money. Come back with a nice tan. And everybody will be crazy about us. And we'll have a wonderful time instead of laboring here in this sawmill. So I says, that sounds like a good idea to me. But really, what was a good idea for me was, he had just got a Honda 90 motorbike. And I wanted a ride on the back. And I knew if I went down to this place with him, I'd get that ride on the back. So I says, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go. And we went. The offshot of the story was, he was too old to go away. And for the next 12 years, I sailed all over the world in the Merchant Marine. <laughs> I've been to your country a, a number of occasions, way back from 1964 to 1976. 12 years of it. Now, in those 12 years, and young people, I want you to really pay attention here. In that 12 years, I graduated from deck boy, ordinary seaman, junior ordinary seaman, 
senior ordinary seaman, a fishing deckhand, able-bodied seaman, and then an able-bodied seaman's foreman, which is known as a bosun of able-bodied seamen. I had really arrived this time because I had an, an intelligent mind, although I wasn't educated. And I knew that I could work as a sailor with my hands and I knew exactly what I was doing. But underneath pinned everything, the old philosophy of violence. Because men twice my age would take orders from me. And if they didn't take orders from me, I used to hit them a little rattle along the side of the head with a lead pipe. (laughs) And I thought that was natural and normal behavior. It was quite natural for me to do so. And often they hit me, little cracks along the side of the head, with blunt and sharp instruments as well. So it was dog eat dog. It was the law of the jungle. And I relished it. I had been trained for it all my life. In one two-year period, I received some 200 stitches from the neck up. Sutures. Fighting. Brawls and waterfront bars and brothels. And all sorts of places that, honestly, people should not even get into. Young people, I want you to pay particular attention. Within those 12 years, I'm utterly ashamed to say that I've tried everything that the world, the flesh, and the devil can offer. And I came away out of that totally unsatisfied. I could find absolutely no contentment for my soul. You see, old Augustine, an old saint of the early church, said, Mankind has a God-shaped hole in his heart that only Christ can fill. But I wanted nothing to do with God. I thought Christianity was for homosexuals and sissies and wimps. It was nothing to do with me. I lived in the real world. And that was my philosophy. So Christ had no comeliness that I should desire him at all. And yet, that God-shaped hole in my heart went empty for all those years. Thirty-two years it came at the end. Now, I left the Merchant Navy in 19, the early 1970s and walked for quite naturally into what we call the commencement of the Troubles, the upheaval in Ulster today in Northern Ireland. The IRA had begun to bomb and shoot and slaughter my people in the name of a 32-county Marxist republic, which they want to form over there, against the democratic witches of the majority of people in Northern Ireland who want to remain British as part of the British state. My people were being slaughtered and it just fell down in the thing that they were tribal Protestants like me who were being slaughtered by tribal Roman Catholics who were actually Marxists. So it's complicated. Now, what was happening then was there was a regiment of the British army raised up called the Ulster Defence Regiment to combat this terrorism. And I wanted to do what was right, and I joined it as a full-time soldier. There I I gained all my weapons training, etc. But very soon I found that I had to carry this, what was known as a yellow card, in my back pocket, which told me when and when not I could shoot at a terrorist. And the offshoot of it was that I could shoot at a terrorist only after he shot at me which was not in my philosophy at all. My philosophy was do unto others as they would do unto you, only do it first. (laughs) The old philosophy just kept on coming up. Violence is right. Might's right and the weak go to the wall. 
I left the UDR and joined the UDA, which is the Ulster Defence Association, a people's army that was raised up to combat the terrorism that was taking place in our country. The concept was good at the start. But when there's no war to fight and everybody's trained up for it, a community soon turns within itself. Someone has said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we found no difference. Soon we were up to all sorts of bloodthirsty skullduggery. I graduated because of my natural leadership qualities and the old philosophy of violence into what was known as the Ulster Freedom Fighters, the more militant wing, the UFF. And I am utterly ashamed to tell you, utterly ashamed, and young people again, please pay particular attention. I am ashamed to tell you that I took over command of active service units at that time because of my abilities and because of the madness within me violence and in the next two years I took guns personally and personally shot two men dead I buried the body of another man that others had killed I attempted to assassinate the brigade staff of the IRA by sending them large books hollowed out and packed with white plastic explosives I wanted to kill men and women and children and I didn't care and I thought what I was doing was right you see friends there is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the ends thereof are the ways of death and I discovered that by my own horrible experience I knew in my heart that I had caused widows and orphans and heartaches and misery and fear and dread and I had indeed become a terror of the terrorists indeed the philosophy that we had was to terrorize the terrorists by the most macabre means that we could and you know the sad part again is that it did work the IRA were soon too worried about what the UFF were doing to them that they couldn't select targets to do the things themselves the British Army and the RUC could not handle the situation, but the loyalist terrorists could, unfortunately. And so you see there was justification in people's minds for the horror and the evil that we were perpetrating on other people. Human life is precious indeed. Now, I had become ashamed of what I had just been created within me. I knew that I was a murderer. I knew I'd created widows and orphans. And after about two weeks of being drunk, I woke up in my girlfriend's bed and I prayed perhaps the first sincere prayer that I had ever prayed. I was distressed. I was discouraged. I was depressed. I said, God, I believe that you're there. My mother sent me to Sunday school when I was a child. So I know the Bible and I know you're there. I need a new start, Lord. I'm tired of what I've become. I'm sick to my heart and soul of what I am a UFF murderer please God help me to get a new start now that was not repentance that was remorse I didn't want to suffer any of the consequences of my sins my past life of terrorism and murder and evil skullduggery I just wanted a new start I wanted out from underneath it now the human nature is like that isn't it but we must suffer the consequences. We don't go out here in Texas and plant uh, uh, beans 
in, in, in a field and expect corn to grow. And so therefore, if we sow sin, we have to reap the punishment of God. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Two days later, God answered my prayer in a way that I didn't expect. There was a heavy hand that knocked upon my door at 6 a.m. And when I looked out that window, my house was surrounded by the British Army, the RUC police force, and members of the SAS, all armed heavily with pointed guns at my house. I went down and opened the door, and I said, Can I help you? And this big man from Scotland, in plain clothes, stood there, and he said, Kenny, I want you to do me a favor. I said, yeah, well, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to run as fast as you can down that street. I said, well, what do you want me to do that for? He says, you're a mad dog. And there's nothing going to stop you. You're totally committed to your terrorist ways. And there's only one thing that will stop you. And he pulled out this big gun out from his holster. And he says, I want to put a piece of lead at the back of your brain. Because that's the only thing that's going to stop you, can I? So run. Now, needless to say, friends, I didn't run. I believed him. You see, looking out of that man's eyes was the same demon that was looking out of mine into it. And it recognized itself for what it was, the demon of violence. And so I didn't run anywhere. I was taken away to Castlerain Interrogation Center, interrogated for five days, night and day, and duly charged with two accounts of murder and a whole catalogue of terrorist offences that later netted me some 400 years imprisonment. They must have thought I was Rip Van Winkle, but that's, that's another thing. 400 years. As one man at one time says, well, how can I do that? I'll never do that. And the judge says to him, just do what you can of it. <laughs> However, away I went into prison on remand. I had not received a trial yet. And immediately I was made paramilitary leader of the paramilitaries inside the prison. And the battle went on. Soon I had the men going back and forward to court absolutely stark naked to show contempt to the authorities who dared to put patriots in jail such as we. That was our philosophy. It was gross personal violence committed on, on prison staff. And in one time after I fought with five prison officers, I was put behind the wire, as they call it, in solitary confinement for 25 days of number one diet. Now, a number one diet consisted of a mug of this vile prison tea, that you could nearly float bullets on the top of it. It was stinking. A slice of bread in the morning. And then at dinner time, at lunchtime, we had a, a, some watery soup and a potato. And then at, at tea time, we had another slice of bread and another mug of this vile tea, loosely called. <laughs> right? Now, that was supposed to starve you and weaken you and make you so as you will take orders from the prison staff and you'll be no more any trouble. I had two friends, two of the infamous Schenkel butchers, who were in the same cell block as me. So my girlfriend was left, leave it, left the food parcels in, in their name. And they made me sandwiches and put them in tin foil, wrapped them in tin foil, and hid them under a trash bin at the end of the block where I had to go at night last thing. 
before I locked up. When I got the prison officer, the prison guard looking the other way, I took this out from underneath the bin and hid it down the front of my trousers and sneaked back to my cell. And then after they locked me up for the night in a starvation diet, lying on what was known as a donkey's breakfast, an old mattress of, of, of canvas stuffed with straw, no bed to make me weak, I lay eating sandwiches of cooked ham and steak and cheese and laughing at the system. In a 25-day starvation diet, number one diet, I put on a stone of weight. <laughs> and the prison authorities were livid. Then he went daft. They said, get this man out of here. We can do absolutely nothing with him. Take him out. And no man could tame him. See the, what I'm trying to say here? No man could tame him. The more they knocked me down, the stronger I come up. When they took everything from me, I became strong because I had absolutely nothing to lose. And they couldn't handle me, so they sent me to the H-blocks. The same H-block that our brother James were talked about early on, that Billy Wright was shot dead on the 27th of December last. And again, I went into solitary confinement. Now, in solitary confinement, you've got absolutely nothing to do to stimulate interest. Jail is a terrible place, young people. Don't go there. Please don't go there. Listen to what your parents and your teachers and your pastors and your Sunday school teachers are telling you. Please do not go to prison. There's nothing romantic about that. It's stinking. The smell of the place is rotten. There's heartaches. There's misery. There's hard times and there's violence. And you don't want to be there. Please listen to what your pastors and your teachers and your parents are saying to you. They have learned a lot of lessons by their experience they don't want you to experience those hard things so please listen to them give them a fair ear they're trying for your sake to do you good I went to solitary confinement and they put me in they locked me up in this little small box of a cell and they said that will fix them so I started writing poetry on prison issue toilet paper with a refill for a barrow pen that I'd stolen from a prison officer he still had the pen, but I was away with the middle of it. <laughs> Some of them are very, very shrewd, those guards. I wrote poems like H Block, the abode of the living dead. Through lonely days in solitude, encased in white-walled tombs, our souls well steeped in misery, we pace these penal rooms. Five small steps from wall to door, five small paces back, Amidst the blinding neon glare On a floor of funeral black One barred window in the wall A door of steel that's stout Keeping gloom and heartaches in And love and freedom out A coarse grey blanket for a suit No shoes upon our feet The Holy Bible for to read One bed, one pot, one seat but these things aren't all we possess within this man-made hell. We've got faith and pride and dignity and our self-respect as well. In a world of peak-capped demons where red tape has bound us tight and Satan wears a pinstriped suit as he demonstrates his might. Our long days are spent in hoping that perhaps one day real soon the outside world will hear our cry and free us from this doom. 
Until that day we'll stand as one. Our strength will never fail. For there's enough defiance in our hearts to smash all its black jail. Amen. And no man could tame him. The more they knocked me down and locked me up and beat me, the stronger I became. It's like the old nature within us, even as Christians. We starve it, we beat it, we keep it down. It's like the old dog out in the yard. But isn't it wonderful, that old dog's there when the burglar comes over the wall? And so it's necessary to us, that old nature. We can't get rid of it. It won't be reformed. And yet, praise God, we've got a righteous nature within as well, given of God, born again of Him. And that's why we have that battle all the time between our old nature and our new. We are indeed unique people. We starve the old nature and build up the new. But just you open that door and let the old nature out for a moment, and it's like the dog that comes in from the yard and runs all over your house and very quickly wrecks it. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? Amen. I was some 15 times to the punishment cells within the next nine months. Yet in that solitary world, I picked up this old black book of books. I picked it up because every cell had to have a copy according to prison rules. The 19th century church people Sound believers had written that into the prison rules in British prisons. Every cell must have a Bible unless the person in the, the cell wants to throw it out. I began to read this old black book of books because I had absolutely nothing else. I had no intentions of becoming a Christian. I was strong as strong could be. I was the UFF paramilitary leader within the prison and would be carried along on people's shoulders. I did not need a crutch at all. Now, I soon began to enjoy the stories in the Old Testament. I wandered with Moses and the disobedient children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, as it were. I saw Samson being given the power from God to pull down the Dagon temple and his Philistine tormentors, and that's what I wanted to do on mine. I saw the minor and the major prophets do strange things. I saw Isaiah run around for three years naked to show the state of the people of God in the eyes of a thrice holy Lord. And I knew and recognized and understood and could relate to all that. I watched King David as he was comfortable upon his rooftop and his people were at battle away in the terrible land. He gazed down in his comfort, lusted after Bathsheba, took her to his bed in adultery, made her pregnant, and got her husband Uriah the Hittite back from the battle in order to try and con Uriah that the child was his. But Uriah the faithful soldier refused to go home and be comforted by his wife but lay on the king's doorstep. And then, when the king couldn't even get him drunk and send him home, he wrote out his death warrant and delivered it by his own hand to the commander of the host in the field the people withdrew from him in the battle and Uriah the faithful soldier was killed dead so David the adulterer became David the murderer and this was a man after God's own heart the deadly David 
If you read Psalm 51 sometime, it's a psalm of David's repentance from these sins. And it's a good exercise for any Christian to read it and remind ourselves of what God has saved us from. However, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Very soon faith began to be built in my heart by this old book, Left Alone in Solitary Confinement. And all those old stories of war and skullduggery and political intrigue, I could relate to them all. I went up to the high court two years later, after two years of this solitary confinement. And the judge said something like this to me after 17 days of a trial. He says, McClinton, I find that you are a cold-blooded, callous, and completely ruthless man. You are, in fact, a UFF assassin. I sentence you to two accounts of life imprisonment with my recommendation that you serve no less than 20 years. Take him away. And you know, friends, that man was right. That man was right. He made a good judgment. Away I went back to the H-blocks and then commenced what was known as the Loyalist Blanket Protest where we threw the whole prison issue clothes off, wouldn't wear them, and could do nothing with us. The prison system was just at an odds and at ends what they could do with us. Walking up and down on those cell floors again, I fought with prison officers day and daily, and they called me that maniac, McClinton, because they couldn't handle me, just like the man in the Gatterine graveyard. No man could tame him. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. I arrived at the New Testament, and there within those lovely blood shed pages I found a saviour Jesus Christ someone willing to reach down into the prison cell to touch even the vilest black hell deserving murderer such as I and you know friends what boots and battens and barbed wire and concrete and steel could not achieve was achieved very very quickly by the heart melting love of the Saviour Jesus. He reached into my heart and after 32 years of a hardened heart began to melt that heart with his love. He didn't need to save me. He needed me for nothing. I deserved to go to hell and to experience its torment forever. Yet the Saviour reached in and says, I will be thy clean. You know, It was like a spiritual tug of war was taking place in my life between the Holy Spirit and the devil for the prize of my unworthy soul. But on the 12th of August, 1979, I could go no longer. I fell to my knees on that cell floor naked before God. I says, Lord, I have read thy word and I want to take you at your word. Would you save me, Lord? Would you cleanse me from my black murderous sins? Would you forgive me, Lord? Would you come into my heart? Would you wash me in the blood of the Lamb? Please save me, Lord. Please save me. And you know what, friends? Praise God he did. Praise God he did. I get up off that cell floor a new creature in Christ. Old things had passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it's here before you. It's real and you can reach out and touch it. Can I hear a hallelujah to that? Can I hear thanks be to God? Amen. Stir up yourselves, people of God. The Lord is at hand. Praise his name. Now, a man's testimony doesn't end when he gets saved. I had to do something very terrible that night that struck fear into my heart that was otherwise fearless. 
Three months before, I had fought 15 prison officers dressed only in a prison towel. And I did it. Never thought anything of it. But that night I knew from my Bible that not only had I to believe in my heart, but I had to confess with my mouth to seal the covenant. And you know, there's no such a thing as a secret Christian. A secret Christian is not a Christian at all. If you say, oh, my faith is very personal, I keep it to myself, you're not a Christian. You've found a treasure, a pearl of great price, and you're not willing to share it. Oh, no. You must tell people of Jesus. It's the only way they'll hear. It's a privilege for us to be in a joint ministry with the living Lord God, isn't it? Is that right? Amen. Tell people about Jesus. I called my men up to their cells' doors, and I says, Men, I have something very important to tell you. And I was the commanding officer, remember? They came up to their doors because they were all in solitary confinement. And I said, Today I have taken the most serious step of my life. I have renounced violence. I have asked Christ to save me, to cleanse me from my sins, and he has. From this day forth, I cease to be the commanding officer of the Ulster Freedom Fighters here in this prison, but I wish only to be a mere volunteer in the army of the living Lord Jesus, and I wanted you men to know that. Well, friends, there was complete shock across that H block that night. You could have heard a pin drop. Two years later, I heard one man turn to the other and said, What's that maniac McClinton up till now? What's he doing? He's going to go up to the conforming prisoners, rile them all up, wreck the prison, and bring them all back here. But no, you know and I know what had happened. By their fruits you shall know them. Today that man is a Sunday school teacher in an evangelical church in Belfast. And the man he was speaking to served 14 life sentences, 20 years in prison, for the last 15 years has been serving Christ both inside and outside the jail. And that's the power of a testimony. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. From being illiterate, I began self-education within the prison. Began to read the Bible. My, my cell became a meeting house three times a week. And suddenly there were found prison officers and prisoners on my cell floor crying. But this time it wasn't because the maniac had caught them in his lair. It was because the maniac was once a maniac, was on his knees on the cell floor with them, leading them to Jesus. Many of my former enemies in the prison service, the guards, were led to Christ by the transformation in the life of a sinner such as me. I educated myself until such times as I now have an honors degree in criminology and the social sciences. I am a pastor of an international pastorship based here in Texas and go all over the place preaching and telling people about the love of Jesus. I have a very successful Bible class where I am a Bible expositor, teaching, making the, the, the heavy and difficult theological things of God very simple indeed for people to grasp and all the time being a witness for Jesus. I want you to pray for my country. I want you to pray for our people. I want you to pray for myself because I work as a mediator as well between government agencies and terrorist groups to try and secure peace and to save lives in my country. It almost cost me my life last August when someone crept up to my window and tried to shoot me with a 12-gauge shotgun. The Lord turned the blast away four inches. It went through the seat in which I was sitting and into the wall. 
and God gets the glory and God gets the praise and no weapon formed against us can prosper. Amen? Amen. When I get saved, I wrote another poem. And then in closing, I want to share it with you. It's called The Dawn of Hope. Because it was a dawn of hope for me and it can be a dawn of hope for you if you're unsaved here today. I saw the furrow paths of men with flag-dripped coffins borne. The widows wandered through my mind. I heard the orphans cry. Their little hearts clean broken too as they sobbed. Why, mommy? Why? My troubled mind transported me to Belfast's ruined shell where written words of mutual hate on bomb-scarred walls did tell of inbred tribal differences for years steadfast maintained a virtual huge Pandora's box which Satan then unchained. We men were weak and far from God so Satan had his way. That's why we live in pain and grief the way we do today. There's just one power can end our plight. Come on, this strife to cease. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Almighty Prince of Peace. You know, I waked amidst a bright new dawn. The Savior took my hand and helped me pray that one day soon we'll share, we'll share a peaceful May the Lord God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and bless this word of testimony to your dear hearts, for Jesus' loving sake. Amen. Amen.